You're listening to the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb. Today on the show, we're talking with Detective Jim Bliss of the Gastonia Police Department and Hannah Hopper, who's with the Hope United Survivor Network. They're going to be talking to us a little bit about Human Trafficking Awareness Month and cyberstalking, and some great tips for both parents and children alike when it comes to the issues of how to stay safe on the internet and what you need to be aware of about human trafficking in our community. This month with Human Trafficking Awareness Month, Hannah, talk to us a little bit about what Hope United's doing to try to kind of raise awareness in Gaston County about this issue. Human trafficking, the color of human trafficking is blue. So we have um, cardboard cutouts of blue folks that we are, because of COVID, we're engaging on social media. We're asking the community sort of where where do you see these blue people or does this place look familiar? And we're associating a human trafficking fact with it or pointer, like tip. Um, and Hope United also as a department is serving these um, survivors by offering drop-in hours for them to build rapport with staff um, for a safe exit if they choose to do so, as well as we do forensic interviews at our Children's Advocacy Center, which is part of our department, and we can safety plan with survivors. It is really survivor-focused, so what they want, and if we can help, we will meet that need. What encompasses human trafficking? And maybe this is something that Detective Bliss can talk to as well. But, I mean, when, when you say the words human trafficking, that's not just – it's a fairly broad term, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think it is. Um, it, it just ranges. I mean, sometimes it's with somebody that you know. It could be, you know, a, a woman's partner that she just assumed that um, she's had a relationship for – you know, a, a couple months or so, and then all of a sudden she's finding out he's using her in uh, different situations and putting her in danger and, you know, um, setting it off that way. And a lot of times it's situations where they're younger kids that could be in the parks or, you know, on the way home from school or whatever it could be, and parents just aren't aware where exactly they're at. It's not based mainly in any age group. I mean, it can just happen to anybody. I think over the last few years, we have done a lot of, in the anti-trafficking community, have done a lot of conversation specifically around changing what human trafficking looks like. People are so used to watching TV shows or Mm -hmm. something where a child is like physically just kidnapped and sold and never to be seen again, when in reality in our community, it doesn't look like that. It looks like an older male boyfriend. It looks like your runaway youth. It looks like your sex workers, um, it, our gang involvement. So it can look in many different ways and as well as labor trafficking. So people working for low wages or no wages at all is a big one. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one before. Yes. So in theory, you could have somebody that's being human trafficked that's living under your roof and you don't even know it. 100%. So it's, they don't have to be, like you said, kidnapped and taken to you know a third world country sort of thing. No, I would have to say like some of the cases that I've worked just in the past, the child is living, it's been minors pretty much that I've dealt with in the past. They're living a fairly normal life. So they're going to school. They might leave school early or something, you know, but they're coming home. They're sleeping in their beds, but during the day, sometimes they're doing other things. Jim, you work with with ICAC. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what that is and what you do? Yeah, ICAC is Internet Crimes Against Children. How it works is we, we a lot of our work is done with cyber tips. We get what we call NCMEC alerts, and from there it's reported to the SBI of the ICAC team. 
and then they disseminate uh, the alerts out to the jurisdictions that uh, it falls under. Um, essentially, what it does is we look at um, the reported views from the applications from cell phones like Kick, TikTok, Instagram, um, things of that nature, where someone has violated a child exploitation law by uh, submitting or possessing child exploited material. Okay. And there's various charges that we charge with it is not just in possession of it, but for disseminating it as well. And then fortunately in our job, you know, we have to confirm what we're looking at mm. in order to make it determined that yes, that's what we're looking at. And then we just, from there, we just, we go into the investigation side of what they give us. And then from there, try to pinpoint who it is that is out there disseminating this material or, you know, unfortunately producing it. And we're, we're seeing a lot of self-made from the younger students that uh, parents are giving them cell phones and kind of letting them out there in the world of the internet and they're Zooming with people or TikToking or Instagram and, you know, they don't realize, you know, the things that they're doing is, is ramifications later in life when they grow up. But we also have other investigations that we create through our department and certain undercover stuff that, you know, determines, hey, we, we, we got somebody we need to look at and, uh, you know, and try to do an investigation based off of that and, and then uh, go ahead and build our case and get them charged. And, you know, sometimes we have um, an actual victim where it's not just an older piece of video or a film, but it, right. it's something that was produced recently or something to that nature. Um, you don't see it very often, but it, it still occurs. I heard from talking to detectives just a few months ago about some of the stuff that they were saying that there's just been such a dramatic increase in the last few years about these type of cases and just the need for more law enforcement resources to, to look into some of these cases. Oh, yeah, it's jumped every year. Um, I've been doing it for probably just three years now, um, and I see the numbers grow. And, you know, our, our tips come in. It ranges seasonal, I guess you could say. Um, summertime's big when the kids are out of school. But we, we see on average, I would say probably about two to three tips a month. Mm. Um, and some of them, you know, they're, they're just unconfirmed tips that they just want to make sure, hey, you know, this is kind of borderline. We need to make sure the child's safe and, and things of that nature. And, and we're more than happy just to do that and just to – to make sure, you know, that's another opportunity for us to educate the child. You know, hey, look, you're borderline on what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's try to step in front of that a little bit and educate the parents as well so it doesn't create a, a bigger mess later on. But, uh, yeah, the numbers do. They, I think people don't realize that, you know, in this day and age, technology is out there and they're using it. And it's not just adults, it's the kids. And they're, they're using it more than, than the adults, I think. What do you mean when you say a borderline case? Are you talking about children asking for inappropriate messages or photos from other children? Some of them do. And I think a lot of them are, we all grew up, we're all teenagers, and we're talking to, you know, boyfriends or girlfriends and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's an occasional where you get someone that's going to say, hey, can you send me a picture of you, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And they don't realize, you know, it's not appropriate. You shouldn't do it. Right. And on top of it, it's against the law. Mm -hmm. We try to be understanding that. We're not looking to charge for that, but we're sure. just 
that's the that's the educational side to it. Mm-hmm. But you had the predators out there that will act like they're 12 years old or oh. 13 years old, and they will try to convince that child to mm-hmm. send more inappropriate pictures and things of that nature. And then sometimes they're just doing it on their own. They just don't have the understanding. I mean, they, they see it on TikTok right. all the time when, you know, you got adults doing it and you got these same kids looking at the same thing thinking, well, this has this got to be all right. And then uh, that's what they're filming. And, and, you know, again, we're not out to, to – to get them in trouble or anything, just to educate them. Um, and, and it's just, like I said, it's just the, today's day and age with technology is so high now because, you know, mm-hmm. you have kids that understand phones better than their parents do. Well, actually, that's a, a good segue into the question I wanted to ask is so many parents did not grow up in this digital phone-based environment. What advice would you give to parents who want to have a conversation with their kid to help keep their kids safe? Um, what do parents need to be aware of? Uh, I think the first thing is just understand that when you give them that phone, you're, you're a parent first. You can be friends with your kids and have a good relationship with them, but be the parent first and have access to that device, whether it's a tablet or a computer, even the school computers. Be aware of what it is that they're pulling up and looking at. Look at their history. Look at who they're talking to. You know, in my opinion, in some cases, uh, and I learned this from my wife, you basically take the the device from the child at a certain time of night because they're going to be on it at night. And a lot of parents just, you know, they're they're not aware of it or they are aware of it and not worried about it. And, you know, just you have to know what your child's involved with and what they're doing and who they're talking to. And the biggest thing to do that is to actually pick up the device, look through it. you know, a lot of times the kids have it locked up and parents are afraid to just ask and they're violating their privacy. You're paying the bill, your mm-hmm. phone. You know, you, you want them to be safe and you have to do that first. So, I mean, I, I think that's the, the biggest problem nowadays is just, you know, parents kind of just use it as a tool to kind of babysit the kids. And, you know, and they're, they're on it a lot. Children's Advocacy Centers in general, and Hope United as a department have a lot of resources for parents, caregivers, even a resource for teens to meet with staff. Um, We host it monthly to talk about internet safety, how to stay safe online, and we even have like a parent guide to give to parents to show what apps they can use or subscriptions to keep their kids safe online and to monitor. So we have resources for those as well, and there are so many resources out there, so I encourage parents just in general to do the research on tools or reach out to us, mm-hmm. you know, just for the resources. Mm-hmm. I know that you guys deal with doing kind of forensic interviews for children at CAC and that you, you do a lot of kind of outreach and communication. Mm-hmm. What are maybe some common misperceptions or maybe some things that maybe kids think, oh, this isn't a big deal, um, and they're, they're overlooking it? I think what we have seen the most of is that people are just trusting whatever is being said on the internet. So Mm -hmm. they are engaging on TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat, and they believe that the person behind the phone is a 15-year-old person or 13, you know. And so they're just super trustworthy of whoever is on the other side of the phone. I think there have been a couple times, I know there have been a couple times where even 
having a conversation with the adult, they make themselves look younger so the child actually believes them or uses someone else's picture. Like, predators know exactly how to trick these kids and are know exactly how to find these kids. The people that are reaching out to these kids are trying to find the kids that are, need someone to fill that void and that's someone that they can trust. Mm-hmm. So how do... Do you two ever work together on human trafficking? And in and, and what ways do does Hope United collaborate with the police department? Within the departments, right. there's been talk and, and we're working on doing that. It's hard as a police department to try to pinpoint exactly who's being trafficking and who's not. Mm-hmm. The, the start is, for, for me to believe, is it comes from the officers that work the street. They know who's out there and who's on the streets. You know, they know the kids. They know the, the women and the adults that are out there. So that's where it starts from. And, and you got to make that assumption that, you know, someone that's out there on the streets working, you know, what's her story? Mm-hmm. Why is she out there? And go from there. But uh, we have uh, the issue where we're the police, you know, and, and it's a trust issue. And. And I get it, and I understand it. They think we're out to just look to destroy their lives. Well, we're not. You know, we're also here to help you. And and, and that's where I think it, it, it starts initially is with the officers out on the street. And then the knowledge that they give us, they can come back with us and, and, and her department as well and, you know, start something there. Um, you know, and there's different ways that we're trying to head it off. I, I don't like going into detail of how we're doing it, but we're doing it yeah. to where we're trying to identify the perpetrators out there that are are focusing on these kids, you know, and because they, it, like she says, they have a language that they understand children and they look for that. Mm. And, you know, if you're an adult trying to pose as a child, they're going to see it right off the bat. It, it takes some school and, and, and trying to figure out because, you know, a lot of officers don't have kids and some of them aren't old enough to where they even know, you know, what kind of questions are going to be asked of them from the predator on the other line, it's hard. It's, it's hard to do it, but I know that we're trying to get involved and, and figure out the best way to try to, to head this off and, and help who we can help, you know, and, and we don't want them to feel like that we're just out looking to make them as an arrest. You know, we're, we're trying to understand their story and get an idea of why they started what they started. Mm-hmm. I think for adults and minors, I think that partnership – especially for minors, in the past has always been there with law enforcement. I mean, we have Department of Social Services and law enforcement that are both making reports or, you know. Mm -hmm. So that partnership has always been there and will always be there. Um, The adult work is the piece that we're going to work on and just to help improve outcomes. And that's the hope for Hope United and I would say hopefully our local law enforcement as well, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, I know one of the things that you guys have announced that you're doing is you're doing like a, a, a drop-in thing once a week for people that um, are either victims of, of human trafficking or maybe think that they may know somebody. Or, or Can you talk a little bit more about kind of what that is and what that's designed to accomplish? Yes. Um, so it's sort of a two-sided thing. So we're going to – it's offered for minors as well as adults. Basically, the drop-in hours is – just going to be shared with our community partners to let them know if they even suspect they can just sort of put the information in the survivor's hands and they have the choice to engage with Hope United in the drop-in hours and in that time we will meet their immediate needs so they might get something to eat they might be able to just 
sit down and relax and feel safe for a couple hours, um, as well as we'll offer services. We can safety plan with them. If it's a minor, we can assess like sort of their risk level to see steps to move forward. And then also we can provide a safe place for them to keep documents um, because especially in trafficking, a lot of the perpetrators are keeping their IDs, their passports, mm. you know, a bank card, anything that is significant to them. So we would hope that we could bridge that gap and maybe offer a place for them to keep them until they're ready to leave the situation. And it's totally up to them. We're not forcing them. They can deny the services at any point in time or they can change their mind. Mm-hmm. But it's more of an empowerment time and a community engagement time to where, you know, you have a choice and you have the power to make that choice and we're here to support you either way. Can you talk a little bit more about um, why y'all take that survivor first approach? Because I'm sure that is really hard on social workers if you know someone is in a dangerous situation. You know, why aren't they just swooping in and scooping them out of danger? Why 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 are you taking this approach? Well, I've learned a lot over the past almost three years that I've been doing the work, but also they haven't had a choice a lot of the time. So we're giving them the choice. We're giving them the power to make the choice. And it's not an easy choice either. We know that it is more successful when a person is ready. And that's not even with just trafficking. That's with substance use, you know, anything like that. They have to be ready and it has to be there on their own choice. And so um, I think it just improves the outcomes. And I think also reduces the chances of them returning to that life and I mean, it's never guaranteed that we will actually prevent them from returning, but they might, you know, if they feel empowered to make a choice and know this is where they can go, we can get you into a safe place um, and help you rebuild your life. So just the power of choice and um, encouraging and empowering the survivor to feel confident enough in themselves to make that choice. I just think it's more successful. Do you think the public at large has a good understanding of of what human trafficking in Gaston County looks like and the extent of what goes on? I would say no. Um, I do a lot of community outreach. I do a lot of a lot of different things but and I think it's a hard thing to understand too because people don't want to know that it happens right under your nose. You know it's just one of those sticky things like you don't want to think about someone exploiting your child or exploiting your sister. You know like you just don't want to think about it so I think it's hard for a community to process, but it certainly is happening. Yeah, even in law enforcement, I mean, we don't see a whole lot of it. It it, it takes it takes the individual to let us know. Um, you know, like I said, we we get the cyber tips. We have other ways of doing it, but the the biggest um, the problem we have is just getting them to talk to us. We everything everything that you're charged with as a person, if you break the law. There's a suspect and a victim, whether it's the state's the victim or you have an individual that's a victim. And in these cases, and, and she could attest, you know, it, we may know the suspect's doing something, but we don't, unless we see it, there's not a lot there for us. It's the same, it ties the hands of DSS as well. Mm-hmm. And we rely heavily on a victim. And that victim has to take them steps and it has to be strong and it's not easy. Um, you know, and, and I don't think that, you know, even as a police officer, I know it exists out there and, and not just in Gaston County, but in, in you know, Stanley and Lincolnton sure. and all that. 
but there's just no way to wrap a number around it. I mean, it, it's like she said, there's so many different levels of, um, of how trafficking is being pushed on someone that, you know, you just, you couldn't get an exact number on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely exists. And I think people, like she stated, you know, they just, they don't want to know until it's in front of their face that they got no choice now that, hey, this is happening. This is actually occurring, and and I see that a lot. Right. It's very much the denial that, you know, some of this stuff's even coming through the home, and they're like, no, it ain't coming from my kid or my husband or, right. you know, my brother or anything like that, and, you know, it, it's hard. I know with policing a lot of times you're dealing with being reactive to things that happen, and it's it's probably true for Hope United too. It's, it's hard to be proactive in situations like sure. this, but – um, do you see the, the campaign with kind of the, the cardboard and metal blue cutouts is, is just kind of one step in trying to be more proactive and raising the level of awareness? Um, yes. I think the last year, um, for me, has been a lot of prevention-focused. Um, fortunately, because of the work that I've done, I know who's at risk. I know sort of the populations to reach out to, um, which has help, been helpful. But I definitely think... I mean, we know it's happening, but if we can prevent it from happening. So even when he was referencing, like, the cases that are on the border, like, you know, that's a whole purpose of a screening tool. Like, why DSS would implement a, a tool to assess a risk level for trafficking and that kind of thing. So we can put things into place like a session on Internet safety or what human trafficking looks like or teen dating violence, um, those kinds of things. So we're definitely focused on the prevention side of things um, right now just because, well, all the time, but right now sure. specifically just because people, we want to prevent it from happening and more people are learning about it. And unfortunately with COVID, everything being on the internet, mm-hmm. it's just only going to keep rising and the online exploitation is going to only keep rising. Yeah. So, And we've talked a lot about kind of, kids but i mean there's definitely the adult aspect sure. of it too where there's prostitution and that sort of yeah. stuff and it's again something that most communities it's one of those problems that like you want to say oh well it's a problem somewhere else it's not right. a problem here because we like our community and we don't want to acknowledge that like <laughs> we have we have these types of issues but i mean it's it's a real thing and anywhere you have any community that there is substance use or mental health or people are going to be at risk um and so those are some of the biggest things. And, previ- and previous child abuse, so even if they're adult as a child being abused, um, that increases sort of your vulnerabilities. And I think even knowing things like that, and we know prostitution in the past has been criminalized and still is, but um, you know sometimes adult women are not doing it on their own will but are loyal to the person that is forcing them to do it. So they'll take 10 prostitution charges, you know, just mm-hmm. to cover up for their trafficker or pimp. And, and this has been around forever. Yes. I mean, sure. you know, and now it's just worse because of the digital world. Yep. Um, you know, and I think there's, which is a good thing, because you can focus more as far as, you know, getting education out there to the children, to the even the adults. Um, whereas before there wasn't TVs and digital mm-hmm. devices and how do you, how do you spread that out there? You know, through newspapers and right. you know, back then in the days, a lot of people didn't read. Mm-hmm. So there's so many opportunities for 
other agencies and law enforcement, you know, to try to spearhead this and, and get a better understanding and, and try to help when we can help and, and uh, charge those who we can charge. Um, but it, it takes a lot of work. I like doing what we're doing, you know, and there's always a need to do more, and you're always trying every day to figure out what more can we do, you know, what other investigations, how can we look at doing another approach to it and being more proactive than reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I enjoy what I'm, what I'm doing too is because we do proactive things and it, it works. It's just, it's not a hundred percent, you know, and it's still an involved investigation. Mine can go on for six months to a year. Mm. Wow. Uh, just trying to determine who's on the other end, right. you know? And so, you know, but it, it's just it's satisfying knowing that you are able to help someone. And, you know, we had those cases where, you know, I've identified a victim all the way in Jacksonville. Oh, wow. And, you know, and our suspects here. Mm-hmm. And we work also with DSS and, and the CAC interviews and that when we actually do identify um, whether it's a, an adult or a juvenile victim. Um, you know, it's, it's important to get their side of it and get an understanding of how they were approached. And, you know, sometimes we, we learn it's not always the perpetrator. Sometimes it's the, the victim that's approached that, or does the approaching. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard to just understand and it's just, it's out there, you know, and I think education's the biggest thing. And, uh, and I think it starts at home, you know, with mom and dad and, talking with the children and being aware of what's going on, being aware at school, the sports that they're, they're involved in and who their friends are and, and their family members. Um, you know, it's just, and I don't know, it's just, it's, it's hard. It, getting that education out there is, is hard, but, you know, we're trying to get it out there. I think it's important to also talk about why this area might be big in trafficking, just Gaston County in general. Um, there's a, a lot of different reasons, but we are right off 85, so close to Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte is ranked first in North Carolina for trafficking incidents. Oh, but, wow. Um, but you have to think there is a professional sports team. You know, there's tournaments that are held in Charlotte. There are a lot. Charlotte's just the place to be, you know. And so where anything is growing or where a city is growing or where things are happening, um, the city and the surrounding cities are going to be directly affected and we're going to have more incidents just because of that. So I think it's important just to keep that in the back of your mind as well, because not only are we here at an airport, we have professional sports, we have 85, we have 321, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not too far from like reservations and and reservations are like Native American population is also targeted for crimes like these. So just to keep all of that in mind, those are some reasons why Gaston County might be prominent <laughs> for trafficking incidents. Oh yeah, I, I learned not too long ago about the missing and murdered Indigenous women. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a, I had no idea that mm-hmm. it was such a, it's an insane issue. It is. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It is. So it's important to talk about it and mm-hmm. just to even know the general basics, like why our area, while you while you might feel like it's not your kid, mm-hmm. um, while your kid might know someone that is experiencing it. Explain a little bit about what does a high-risk situation look like? Anytime you have a child that has been abused or neglected, even in, if you are an adult and have been abused or neglected, that always 
really the thing with trafficking, your vulnerabilities are exploited. So mm. if you are suffer with mental health, if you are feeling isolated, if you experience intimate partner violence or family violence, substance use, homelessness, all of those things are going to increase your vulnerabilities and sort of create a place where you can be exploited or a way in to be exploited. So the trafficker exploits Mm -hmm. the things that are the weakest parts of you. And you have to think, we've talked a lot about internet, but it's just so prominent right now. And like, even back a few years ago, I say a few years, it's probably been closer to 15, but when Facebook was up and running, you know, it says, what are you feeling? You put your, Mm. Hannah is bored, Hannah is lonely. Well, children are still doing that, but on a lot of different platforms. And adults are doing that on a lot of different mm-hmm. platforms. You're quarantined by yourself for two weeks. You only rev- right. revert to the internet. So, you know, a trafficker or these predators are like, ooh, let me let me reach out. Let me use my mm-hmm. fake account, you know, yeah. to be like, hey, I see that you're lonely. I am too, mm-hmm. and create a bond that way. This is, re- I know this is a little different, but mm-hmm. this reminds me of – situations where even seniors have been exploited and extorted for money with, you know, catfishing, people posing as an online lover or an online friend. And um, it's not the case. No, No, we we see a lot of that. I I used to work fraud cases Mm -hmm. and that happens very often. Uh, They get on these dating websites or even just Facebook in general, and, you know, you form a friendship with someone who you believe is a man or a woman, and, you know, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of times it'll tell them, yeah, I'm overseas, but I'm stuck, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just trying to get back home, or I'm just trying to, you know, find the right relationship, things of that nature, and, well, they have an age group that they're looking for. They're looking sure. for the vulnerable, the ones that are older and lonely, and uh, looking for that companionship, and, and, that's how they feed off of that. And they get more and more information every time they talk to them. And uh, once that established relationship is there, that's when they get work, you know, and they're, oh, I need $500 and it jumps to, you know, 10000 or I'm going to send you a check and if you cash it and just send me, you know, 25 or 30% of it and just keep the rest for yourself. You know, they're convinced to doing all this stuff and they don't realize that these checks are counterfeit or, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get wrapped up and then that's when we're knocking on their door. And, you know, you feel bad for them because you're trying to get them to understand, you know, be aware of who you're talking to. You you know, and, and all of them will tell you right off the bat, I've never met them. You know, I, right. they're my girlfriend or they're my boyfriend, but I've never met them. You know, I mean, you don't know who you are on the other side. I can post a picture of anybody on Facebook and say, this is who I am. Right. You know, and that's legitimately what they're doing. And unfortunately, a lot of it is outside of the United States where most of our suspects are on that. And they're making millions. They're wow. making a lot of money doing it. That just goes to show everyone can benefit from knowing about cybersecurity, about sure. about having good internet security practices exactly just being aware yeah and just be careful what you put out there you know and even uh, folks that are doing videos you know they're you can still be the issue of cyber stalking you can be stalked and not even realize you're being stalked you know mm-hmm. when you're doing a video on tiktok and you get this fan base and you know thousands and thousands of people are, are looking at your videos and you're exposing yourself inside your own home. 
you know, you're giving little hints and details of where you live. And, you know, you got people going outside. And, and they're already shortening it down for you a little bit by telling you what state and sometimes sure. what city you're in. Oh, wow. And then the next thing you know is you start seeing people walking around and, oh, there's a street address. And then you see them walking to their house and, oh, there's your street number. You know, and these and these guys are looking for that. And, and a lot of times they can convince kids to, to give that information or even adults. So, you know, I, I think the biggest thing with that is, you know, just understand how to protect your information you, you know, your location, your personal information, your children, yourself, um, just be mindful of what it is you're recording and throwing out there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to do something, there's an edit. Edit things out. Mm-hmm. You know, keep some of that information not visible. You know, but a lot of times people aren't thinking that way. They're just thinking, you know, I'm just going to go and stream and do my thing and get the attention. And, you know, and they do it. And then they need our help. <laughs> I think to touch a little bit more on the elder population, I think in our in our area we've probably seen a lot of, I know we've seen older folks that have been exploited for even the medicines that they're on. Um, oh. So, and so more often than not, that's probably a family member that has struggled with substance use or something in the past, mm-hmm. but very much so has targeted a grandmother or an aunt or, you know, or a grandpa for medications and things of that nature. I know, like, my grandmother is not on the internet, so, you know, fortunately, I don't have to worry about that, but potentially would have to worry about someone targeting her for her medications that she takes daily that she couldn't live without, but Mm -hmm. because she is a sweet person, would be like, I might, would let you in my home. I might, would feed you, and Mm -hmm. somehow someone would end up with her medicine, you know, so... So, Elizabeth, you're probably feeling really good about not being on social media right now. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Uh-huh. I, I spent almost four years working in TV, and at one of the stations I worked at, I mean, we literally would train our female reporters and anchors about, like, here's what you should and shouldn't do. Here's how to set up a professional account. Try to keep it separate from right. your personal one. Don't use your last name in your personal one. Make it right. harder for people to find you. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, it, the number of basically stalkers that a lot of female reporters get is insane. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And it's like they're visible and they're you're coming into their homes on a, you know, sometimes five days a week. And so people develop this sense of attachment, like, oh, I know you. I feel like I know you a on a personal level. A parasocial relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I, I'm going to comment on, like, the dress t- that you wore today or, right. like, the, the makeup or the way you did your hair oh, or, or, yeah, I mean, it's... I it's believe it. unbelievable. And, and they don't understand the technology's changing. I mean, I can pop a picture into Google and it could be your picture and then it's going to come back with many images that believe it may be you. Mm-hmm. And then I can sit there and just try and figure out, oh, okay, well, there she is right there. And that is going to give me most likely your real name, oh, your, wow. your information. And people don't realize your stuff's out there. Yes. Even if you're as safe as you want to be, mm-hmm. it's out there. Your, your pictures, everything you put on Facebook, TikTok, it doesn't matter. Once it's out there, it's out there. And uh, people look for it, and they're going to use it. They're going to try to exploit it any way they can. And it doesn't matter how old you are or who you are. You know, They're going to do what they can with that information. So being a father of a 7-year-old, I think the one takeaway message I have now is my daughter won't get a cell phone until she's 21. Right. She'll never be on social media. <laughs> yeah. And once she hits about 13, I'm just going to lock her in a closet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, though, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, really. I'm sure it's probably, it makes you want to do that. Yeah. And yeah. I don't have kids, and I am not, 
I'm not ready. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mine are adults, and I still cannot believe some of the things that yeah. they are, are seeing and, mm-hmm. you know, and some of the stuff that they talk about. I'm just like, uh, you know, it, it, it's hard. But, you know, the, I think the biggest thing is just be the parent first. Yeah. Look through these devices. Talk to them. Let them know that it's out there. It's scary, but you want to put a little scare in them. You want them to understand that, you know, the world is dangerous. It's fun, but the world is dangerous. And, you know, if they're mindful of it and they know how to react when a situation occurs, then that's the first step, you know, is when they know that someone's trying to get information from them and they feel like that, you know, it's not a good situation for them to be in or someone approaching them that's a, a stranger, what do you do? You know, you don't just stand there looking at them and screaming. You, you take off. You do what you can. Attract attention. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing is just educating the children to understand you're going to have a phone, but we're going to look through it. You lock it, we're taking it. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. You know, and just be the parent first. And yeah. utilize resources. I mean, there are a mm-hmm. ton of resources. He referenced NICMEC, which is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Right. They have a whole NetSmart tab on their website and it will teach a kid like what happens if you send this picture and so it'll walk you through like if you send this picture and then they send it sort of like the ramifications of sending a picture without knowing who you're sending Mm -hmm. it to as well as how to talk to your child Mm -hmm. and as much as we need to talk about stranger danger we also need to talk about how 90 percent of people know the person that is targeting them or exploiting them really? or abusing them. Um, yes. 90%? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow. so we, while we talk about stranger danger, when I'm out there teaching body safety, I oftentimes will remind the folks that 90% of the time it could be someone you know that is targeting your child or a family member. If you see the investigations that I do, mm-hmm. and like she said, you you just be like, this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, you just, that's why I say you don't, you may not know who the suspect is, but I'm telling you, in, in a lot of these cases, the husband or the grandfather or mm-hmm. even the mother turns out to be the suspects, and the other family members are just in shock. And, yeah. you know, it's it's your neighbor. You know, it's the guy down the street or the woman down the road or the victim child, you know, across the street. People don't realize that it is just there. You know, we... The numbers, again, I, I couldn't tell you the numbers. I just know it absolutely is there. I mean, there's no way around it. It's well, if there. you're talking about traffickers or predators being people who are going to exploit victims' weaknesses, who is most likely to know those weaknesses? And people that, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, make, it, does, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. None of that is meant to scare the uh, – well, while it should be alarming to the community, it's not to – induce fear it is being realistic and having those really hard conversations at a very young age to teach your child body safety to talk about what is on the internet and practical tips for whenever they're feeling unsafe and letting them voice that you know Mm -hmm. absolutely so this has been a really, really good conversation. I appreciate both of you, uh, Detective Bliss and, and Hannah, for coming in, to, for talking with us, and for the work that you guys do on a daily basis. Of course. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Thanks for having us.